Would you turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Philippians, chapter 3. And verse 4. If anyone else has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've been, I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and to somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards that which is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the price for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. So Father, we pray that you take your word, and that you'd make us hungry for it, and that we would be as those who come out of the desert and drink deeply at your well, and that our lives would be changed, that our lives would glorify you, that our lives would be satisfied in the goodness of God. We thank you that you are indeed a good God. We worship you, Lord. Amen. So someone in our fellowship came to me at the beginning of the year and said, please pray for me, I want to give up smoking. And um, I've been smoking all my life for many generations. This lady was in her late 70s. We prayed and I said, well, just cut, cut back, cut down on your, on your smoking and we'll trust God for it. I just each day, just cut back on a couple of cigs. She came to me a little while ago and said, very excitedly said, guess what, guess what? I haven't smoked for two months. And uh, that's amazing after having smoked a life, lifetime. That's the goodness of God. That's the transformation of God from a habit that uh, is not good, not healthy. I mean, your money just goes up in smoke, does it not? I want to look at a couple of illustrations from the Old Testament and, uh, and look at this subject that I want to discuss this morning called embracing change in our lives in order to glorify God. Embracing change in order to glorify God. And the first illustration is the Israelites who were in bondage to slavery in Egypt for 400 years until God raised up a Moses to take them out of slavery. You remember how Pharaoh, king of Egypt, battled to, to conceive giving up his, his slaves 
and after a long while was convinced, let them go, changed his mind, chased after them, and was destroyed. You remember how the, 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 the Red Sea was opened up by God and allowed the Israelites through to, to safety? And, um, and what should have taken them 40, uh, what should have taken them a few, few weeks or months took them 40 years to get to the promised land because of their disobedience. They bickered and they complained and they, they fought against Moses and against God. And um, they, they said that they wanted to go back to Egypt because it was too hard and they didn't want to change. You see, they refused to embrace change. They'd experienced God's faithfulness to them, had they not. They experienced God's salvation, His presence, His provision for them. And yet they were disgustingly ungrateful. They were not prepared to change, and they paid dearly for it. In Numbers chapter 32 and verse 11, it says, Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of the men, 20 years old or more, who came out of Egypt will see the land I promised on earth, except Joshua and Caleb, for they followed me wholeheartedly. Two, twice here, it mentions the word wholeheartedly wholeheartedly. And this story is expanded on in the New Testament. You read it on your own in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 11. And verse 5, just want to highlight verse 5. Nevertheless, God, referring to this incident, was not pleased with them. He was not pleased with them. He was not pleased with them. And their bodies were scattered over the desert. And these things... Verses 11 and, 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 and 6 and verse 11 says, these things occur as examples for us. They're not just hidden, hidden in the Old Testament for nothing, for no reason, for rhyme or reason. They were given to us as examples by which we can embrace change. Israel's mir miraculous release from slavery was a type of salvation it was a precursor. It was a pointing towards Jesus, who is our ultimate Savior, and in whom we have ultimate salvation. And we, too, are on a journey, are we not individually? We are on a journey to becoming the people of God, the people that God wants us to be, the people that will bring praise and honor and glory to His name. That is our purpose. That is our purpose 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18 says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. This word, this word transformed in the Greek is the word metamorphosis. It's the, it's the account of, uh, it describes the caterpillar as it goes through its stages and, and emerges as a butterfly. And so we are being transformed by God. And we have to acknowledge that, that we are being transformed by God. We're, we're, we're on a journey. We're, it's a progressive transformation throughout our lives. There's never a full stop this side of glory. It's, it involves change, does it not? And we can either resist it or fight it, or, or we, can, we can accommodate God's purposes and plans 
for our lives. If we fight and resist it, there's only pain in, in the process. If we accept what God is doing in our lives, then there will be fulfillment and great joy. And what's more, there will be, we, there will be much glory for God because that's the end. That's the end result. And Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 11 and 12 says it so well. In Him we were chosen, having been predestined, in order that we might be for the praise of His glory. For the praise of His glory. The, the big question is, are we changing? Are we changing? A am I changing? I need to ask myself this question all the time. Am I changing, God? Because sometimes I wonder if I am changing. Examine to see whether you're in the faith. Am I changing? Many Christians that I know down the years still want to live in Egypt. They're not happy on this journey. They, they yearn back, they hanker back for Egypt. They have one foot in Egypt and they have one foot in the kingdom of, of God. And that doesn't work too well. Why? They refuse to change. They refuse to change because it's too demanding, it's too hard, too sacrificial, too scary, too uncomfortable, and too much effort. I'm sure that you would agree with me that the Israelites would have been downright crazy and stupid to have, to have gone back into slavery. For what? To, to be a slave? The humiliation? The degradation? The, the suffering? The heartache? The, the pain? The pain that they experienced on the journey was, was nowhere near to what they would have experienced back, back in Egypt. There's no way backwards. There's no back door as, as, as a Christian. What are we going into? Paul said, Paul said, uh, Peter said to Jesus, to whom shall we turn? Everybody was deserting Jesus at one time, and he said, he said to them, are you also going to desert me? And he said, to whom shall we turn? You are the author of life. You have the words of, of life. Proverbs chapter 21, 21, easy verse to remember. 21, 21. He who pursues righteousness and love finds life prosperity and honor he finds life to the full prosperity in not the prosperity preaching that that is preached today but but in in the general structure of our lives we will be blessed god will bless our lives and we we will have a, a good life a great life honoring and, and serving God. Another example from the Old Testament is the life of Jacob. His story is very different and very positive, is it not? First of all, he started out not honoring God, not bringing much honor and glory to God. But then God met with him. You know that story, how God met with him. Genesis 32, 24 to 31. It's an amazing encounter with God, and we've had that encounter, have, have we not? And if you've never had that encounter with God, He's yet to encounter you today. He's, he's the living God. Jesus is in our midst. He wants to come into your life and transform your life from bad to good to bring glory to Him. Verse 24 says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. This was God intervening in his life. And this was no ordinary man, Isaiah chapter 12 tells us in verse 4, that he struggled with the angel, and he wept and begged 
for his favor. When it is an angel, an angel it's an angel. Some th- most theologic, theologians say when it's the angel, it's, it's probably Jesus that met with him. And in verse 3 of Hosea says, And Jacob struggled with God. It was no ordinary angel. Also, Genesis 32 and verse 28, And then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God. You may be asking, what has a wrestling match that took place two, you know, several thousand years ago got to do with me? Well, this was no ordinary wrestling match. And it's got everything to do w- with us. Because God works in these ways to, to draw us away from the world, to draw our attention to himself. He works in this way. He, he often allows crises to happen. He often allows difficulties and upsets and upheavals, and it ma- and makes it uncomfort- uncomfortable for us, so that we may experience His goodness and His transformation. He wants to change us. Are you experiencing a crisis in your life right now? Then be aware that God is at work to change you, to enhance your life, not not to smash you. Jacob's wrestling match with God, with the angel of God, was not comfortable. Can you imagine wrestling all, all night through? I don't know if you've ever been in a wrestling match, a, a proper wrestling match, not just a play-play one, but I've been in a, in a proper wrestling match, and you do that for 15 minutes, and you, you're finished at the end of that time. You, you, want to, you, you want to bring up. It's exhausting. It's painful. Your muscles ache afterwards. All night. I mean, they didn't have tea breaks. They didn't have cake like we do at SBC. This was, this was a hard wrestling match. And then the angel puts his, his, his hip out. Verse 25, the angel touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched. He walked with a limb for the rest of his life. That was, that was Aina. That was, that was, there was a painful time. Sometimes we go through those painful times, do we not? But God has a plan and a purpose. And that came through the folk as they shared this morning. And verse 26 says, well, let's go back. Did you notice who initiated this, this whole event? It was God, was it not? He initiated this encounter with, with Jacob. But it was Jacob who persisted. Verse 26, the, the angel said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Although Jacob didn't enjoy the process, he wanted to see it through. He wanted to see it through. You, you have to give him 10 out of 10 for persistence. Before this event, Jacob would run away from problems. But here he's running to God. He's holding on to God. He's looking for God's blessing and God's presence. And God waits for us in that response, in those times, to see whether we're earnest with him, whether we earnestly want 
want God or we just want a quick fix. We just want to get out of the situation. Because if we're earnest with God, like Jacob was, we will be transformed. His name was transformed to Israel. And that's how they, what they call the nation of, the nation of Israel we know today. From this, transformed. Maybe God's putting his finger on something in your life. Respond to him immediately. And hang with him. Because he's doing a good work. He's doing a good work. He wants you to be transformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We know that we're keen to be blessed, do, do we not? But God is more keen to bless us than we're keen to be blessed ourselves. And that always spurs me on. God's more desirous of more for our lives than we will ever be. We need to be hungry for God. We need to be hungry for God. The, the, this pulpit has been known to, to have good teaching, good preaching. But you can have the best preaching in all the world, but if we do not change, then it's useless. It's worthless. And it's a ritual. And we gain nothing. And we become religious. And I wonder how much I change each week, each month, each year. Do I run with the word? Do I come prepared to receive the word of God? Do, do I come saying, God, speak to me. Change me. Transform my life. Make me more like Jesus. Give me more of your joy and of your peace. Because when we become more like Jesus, we have more of his peace and joy, don't we? We, we don't go to listen to a man. We don't come just to listen to Matt and Joey and Mark and Pierre. But God speaks. God speaks to us. And if we're just going for a man or to crit a man, then we've missed, we've missed the point. God expects us to hear and expects us to respond. He also expects us to be present so that we can hear and respond and change. And so if we come haphazardly now and again, it's pathetic. And it's not honoring God. It's not honoring God. He says, do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together. Do not. It's a command. It's not, well, I don't feel like coming very often. Well, am I a child of God or not? Am I coming under his authority or not? Am I coming under the church's authority or not? James chapter 1 and verse 22 to 24 says, Be doers of the word and not only hearers deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and does not do it, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror and goes away and forgets what he was like. This verse is saying that if we are regular hearers of the word and we don't do it, we are deceiving ourselves. That, that's a strong word, is it not? Have you ever been deceived? I have a couple of times. It's not nice when someone deceives you. They lie to you, they hoodwink you, make believe something, and then, you know, it happened recently with a, 
with a spray, spray paint on my car, and I checked the car, it was parked out on the pavement. I said to her, no, let me check this out, I, uh, something's wrong. And, and he hadn't done half, half the work, and didn't even apologize. What a deception. But we deceive ourselves. That's even worse, is it not? When we don't change, we, we deceive ourselves. And that's quite shocking. We harm ourselves, is, is what it's actually saying. You see, Satan is not worried that we go to church as long as we don't apply what we, what we hear. And the same, the same relates to, to our cell group, to our quiet times. We can religiously go through all those rituals and bluff ourselves that, that we are changing. It's like looking at ourselves in a mirror. You wake up in the morning and your hair is all over the place. You know, your face is dirty, you forgot to wash, and you're working in the garden, but you're so tired that it's full of mud and something's sticking out of your nose and you go to work. You look at the mirror, ah, you forget. And people at work say, Whoa, oh, what happened to you? Were you at a party? And when we look at the Word of God and we don't do it, we don't change. It's like that. That's what God is saying. We need to respond to Him. They say that churches plateau after 30 50 to 50 years. They grow quickly in the beginning of being in church planting and they plateau. And the reason is that people become complacent. Christians become complacent. They become stale. And the church doesn't grow. And the church often does the, does the opposite. And I've been in churches where there have been a lot of new Christians coming in. And they're a breath of fresh air. They're a, they're a, real, they're a real blessing to have. They're so hungry for the Word of God. They, they, they talk about their faith all the time. They talk about the Word. They want to talk about the Word all the time. And you, you, you need to lock them up a bit. My, my folks wanted to lock me up. I was so excited about, about Jesus. But they put us older Christians to shame. You know, we, we're talking about the soccer and the rugby and the cycling and the jogging and, and the, the latest movies and the latest sports cars. But we're not talking about the Word. We need to become like hungry, newborn babes in Christ. We need to keep our spiritual fervor in God. It's so important. Paul says here, and he is such a wonderful example in Philippians that, that, that we read, not that I've already obtained all of this, I've not been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Is that our desire? Are we still on the cutting edge? Are we still saying fresh and green? Or are we coming to worship? Oh, it's Sunday again. Oh, I, I guess I've got to do it. Whew. It's hard to be a Christian. Are we coming rejoicing in God? 
saying, oh God, I can't wait to be there. Why do we have to wait one week apart? Why can't we have meetings every, every day? I want to very briefly mention five motivating factors which are crucial for embracing change. How am I doing for time? Another hour to go. Number one, change involves being honest with God and with ourselves. It involves being honest with God and ourselves. Herbert Carsten writes, human pride at every stage of development makes personal admission of guilt one of the most difficult steps to take. It's pride that says, no, me, no. No, not, not, not me, not me. Really, really, it's, it's them. It's, it's, it's someone else. After the fall, Adam blamed Eve, did he not? And Eve blamed the saint. So, uh, uh, Eve blamed the serpent, and you know that he didn't have a leg to stand on. So we, we pass it on. It's, it, we don't like to take blame. See, if, if you worked with a boss like mine, if you lived with a wife or a husband like mine, you know, you had these aches and pains like mine. You know, we, we don't like to take blame. David sinned with a woman that he shouldn't have sinned with to cover up her having a child, sent Uriah out to be killed, to cover it up. And then Nathan the prophet comes and tells him the story and it's recorded for us in Second Samuel 12, if you want to read it up later, verses 1 to 10. And he tells him this little story about this rich man and this poor man. And the rich man had a, had a guest, had a visitor, and uh, he had lots of flocks and everything. But he went to the poor man and grabbed his one and only little lamb that was like a, a little lapdog for him. And he took it and he, he, he prepared it for, for, for his guests. And, and David was, was incensed. He said, that guy should be killed. He should be. He should be. And Nathan said, you're the man. You're the man. You're the man. I wonder if God says to us when we defer Blame. He says, you're the man. You're the man. We need to be honest and open with God and with ourselves if we are going to embrace change. Secondly, change involves living in the fear of God. Psalm 86 and verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in the truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Living in the fear of God is not Ooh, God's going to clap me. No, it's reverencing Him. It's reverencing Him for who He is, the great creator of the universe. Who am I to say, oh, you know, I'll live as I like. But we reverence Him for His greatness, His glory, His holiness. It involves humility and submission, does it not? God wants fat people. He loves fat people. Faithful, available and teachable. Are we there? Are we there? Faithful, available, and teachable. No one should ever be in leadership at all if they're not teachable. Change, thirdly, involves having a deep-seated longing to please God. Col Colossians 1 and verse 10 says, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. Marriages break up because 
Couples do not want to please each other anymore. There's a love deficit. Where there's a love deficit, we don't want to please each other anymore. Where there's a love deficit towards God, I don't want to please him anymore. I want to please him in a little fashion. I want to please myself more than I want to please God. Do we want to please God? We read earlier on in Corinthians that God wasn't pleased with the Israelites. He wasn't pleased with them. As we sit here today, is he pleased with us? Is he seeing the heart of change? For change happens when Jesus is our greatest hero. Children, teenagers, and sometimes even we as adults want to emulate our heroes. We often dress like them, talk like them, behave like them. See these, these, these South African televangelists, they've all got these American accents. It's amazing, they've all studied in America. No. They, they admire these American preachers and, and America, and they, they kind of start even talking like them. Is there somebody that we admire more than we admire Jesus? We want to impress that person, so we buy that car, or live there, or, or dress like that. We're looking at the... Um, at the um, film film uh, gala, and they were zeroing on people. I don't know if you saw it the other day. I'm not into films, but I just flicked through this, and they're like, your dress, Versace, 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 Versace. And I'm like, who's Versace? Paul said, for me to live is Versace, no? Is Christ. For me to live is Christ. Is he your greatest hero? Look at his word. Look at his will. He is the perfect man. He had perfect peace, perfect joy, perfect fulfillment. Don't run after other idols. We have to run after him. And when, when he's our hero, we want to change and live like him. Five, and lastly, change happens when we truly believe that it brings God's shalom, God's glory. When I live as I please, I'm saying to God, my way is better than your way. Are, are we not? When I catch myself doing stuff and saying, no, God's way is better than my way. God's way is higher than my way. Psalm 18 and verse 30. As for God, his way is perfect. Psalm 18 30. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. It's our choice to embrace the word or not, the will of God, to know the shalom of God, to know the blessing of God. When we become more and more like Jesus, we, strangely enough, have more joy and more peace and more fulfillment. It's not strange at all. 10.10, John 10.10, come to give you life of misery, right? Heartache, absolute pain. No, I've come to give it to you in abundance. What's, what's our decision today? Are we going to live to honor him? To be honest with him? To live in godly reverence and fear? To, to have a deep-seated desire to please him? To allow him to remain our hero? And to allow the shalom of God? I've, I've just, I read a book by Nick Vucic, another guy without arms and legs. And um, you, you should read a book like that. Ah, it's amazing. And, and, and he talks about change, and he says that that's one of the most important things in life. He, he, he lists a list like this in the beginning of his book. And he says, to wish for change will change nothing. To make a decision to change 
to take action will change everything. It will change everything. Little changes, J. Adams says, will have great consequences and bring great reward and great results. What, do, what is God saying to you to change today? Is it your attitude? Is it your behavior? Is it, is, is it your speech? Is it your thought life? Is it your lack of commitment to the kingdom of God or your lack of consistency? Let's pray. Our great God and our King, we thank you for the honor and the joy of knowing Jesus as our Savior. And so we commit our hearts to you again. We commit our lives to you again, and we want to serve you wholeheartedly. We want to be pleasing to you, Lord. We don't want to live in a, a dichotomy. The word says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways and will not prosper. When we're looking in two directions, we want to look just in your direction, Lord. We want to be to your praise and to your glory. So come and change. Change our hearts. Even if it's in those little things, we know that they bring growth. So we capitulate. We open our hearts to you afresh. Maybe there's someone who does not know Jesus. You've never had a life-changing experience with him. You've been religious maybe, but God is here to change and transform your life. Allow him to do this today. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. God has spoken to you about that last thing that I mentioned. I'm here. Please come and speak to me. I'd love to pray with you and allow Jesus to come into your life and fulfill the deepest longings of your heart. Bless you. Have a great day.